Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including e-books and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome to the Art Channel on the New Books Network. My name is Yakiri Oaz today. When I had to choose under which category to place the interview with Ran Oron, our guest, I couldn't find a suitable one. It is not a book of poetry, nor is it a book about architecture. It is not an art book, but it's also not literature. Anyone who chooses to pick up Ran book, discover a work, that re-examine what a book is. Run Books is a journey of someone living between worlds, between Israel and the US. As a successful architect working in urban spaces, his book unfolds with a precise view from home to nature, to the lives of birds. Run seeks to question, what is a home? What is language? What is drawing and what is text? And as someone who served as a helicopter navigator in the Israeli Air Force, the bird is also Ran's perspective, accustomed to observing the ground from the air. So our guest today, Ran Oron, was a helicopter navigator prior to studying architecture at the Cooper Union. For two decades, he was a design professor at Pratt Institute School of Architecture. And in 1996, he founded R-O-A-R-T, an architecture studio in New York City. Ran, welcome to the New Books Network. Thank you. Maybe we start by reading the, the two first paragraphs in your book. Okay. In June, I began to draw the birds, lonely, even though I wasn't alone. I saw them return every spring, separately, from the forest along the equator. She from the south, he from the north. A couple, prey birds that live all their lives together, returning every year to the same nest. The Hebrew word for osprey is shalah. I am an architect. When I was younger, I was a helicopter navigator. This is a story of a nest. Beginning that says so much. Normally, when when um, when I get a book, I got um, 
and they and there are some drawings. Um, I think like ninety nine percent of the book are words, and one percent, you know, like a drawing here, a drawing there. You choose to do something totally different. I got a book and I read it the first time in half an hour. Then I read it again two weeks later, but it took me like two, three hours because the drawing took most of the time. You're an architect, as you say, and you rethink what a book is. So can you share with us a little bit about what happened? Like, why did you choose to write this, this book? And what book is for you as an architect? So first of all, the, the process of the book, I mean, it didn't start as a book. It started as drawings. And we're just a um, series of drawings uh, looking at the Ospreys, at the family of Ospreys just outside my home, my house home in Connecticut. And um, I just started drawing them in, the, in my sketchbook. Um, later on, when I had a series, a set of drawings, um, and I started showing it to people, friends of mine, um, poets, uh, writers told me you should write a story about it. And I started writing about it. Um, actually one of the most difficult, uh, problems in making of the book was the decision where to put the text. In relationship to the drawings, um, it felt to me that the drawings are the text, and that the text is a kind of a drawing. This is, by the way, if you look at the book, you'll see that when you have a, a page of text, there's no drawings on the other side, or when you have drawings, there's no text on the other side. In other words, there are in a constant dialogue um, that. Uh, um, each of them is both a drawing and a text. Um, um, I think it's also, you know, in, if you look at the, the, the quote in the, in the first quote in the book, uh, which is from the Art of Poetry by uh, Borges, even the title where it talks about the art of poetry combines uh, the two methods. One is art, one is poetry. Not that poetry is not art, but art for me was, I understood art more as a three-dimensional art. There's a way to combine both of them for me. Um, as to uh, writing on a book or writing a book as an architect, yeah. Um, when I graduated from uh, from the Cooper Union in 1995, I had a show, which was called Planes. It was a show of uh, folding walls, walls that fold in infinite ways. Um, Dory Ashton, who was my dear and beloved mentor who I miss very much, wrote an article about it and uh, called it on another plane. Mm. And in the article, she described the walls that I'm making. She said they're not retaining walls, but they're containing walls. Um, in that sense, I feel that a book is full of containing walls. The idea that you actually can open a book and go through the pages reminded me of the concept that actually drove this exhibition or the project was that we as human beings are made of infinite folds and we are actually opening and closing each of our folds at any given moment and uh, i feel that a book as an architect was just making a composition of uh, containing walls uh, that allowed for infinite ways and scales of space how did you choose 
among the the different drawings where to put um, the the words, and what did you try to achieve? I'm sure you wrote more. So, like, what what part of the words you choose to bring into the book, and what left outside on your desk? I think again, it's very similar to the world to the world of architecture. It was a process of eliminate of elimination of precision and um words for me are like architectural details they're connection they're connecting and um um i tried to put myself as much as i can in the book but um without showing without limiting myself in other words i feel that in any in making in every work of art the more you put yourself out there in 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 more for lack of a better word general or more abstract uh, details the more you can actually touch other people and that's really almost like kind of the, the secret for me of, of the spaces or the architecture even or the book that I'm making um it's really about the facts you know it was just giving the facts in a precise way and then when you look at the facts and you look at them again and you ask the questions uh and you kind of start to take their heart and soul out of them I think you're able to to hand it over to other people if it makes sense Mm, so um, like, it, it's, a, it's really giving, it's gifting other people. <laughs> uh, that's how I would say it. So, Ron, there is a story of the, the birds that are nesting um, in nature, that you watch them morning after morning. But there is also the story of you um, as an, a person who, like the birds, you are traveling from a place to place since... Um, you are an immigrant. You're an Israeli American, and also there are and there are questions that come to you um, in the book um, about questions around language. How do we speak our heart? How can you explain who you are? So I wonder if we can maybe um, continue to read, and then um, like the next paragraphs, and and um, we will talk about that more. Um... Just in reference to your to your question, I think uh, I, I'd read the following paragraphs. Um, I was in the room, lonely even though I wasn't alone. I learned to recognize her voice calling him. They had their own language. I still loved in a foreign language, but I missed my mother's tongue. For love, living in translation became exhausting. It was no longer accurate. Words I was looking for disappeared. End of sentences got swallowed. Lost their punctuation marks. Thoughts became simplistic. Shallow. So I think, <laughs> I think language is everything. Mm -hmm. And um, I think in those sentences uh, that I get, especially the sentence, in particular the sentence for love, living in translation became exhausting um is a is a very it was was when i wrote it or became when i wrote it a very meaningful sentence for me um language is uh culture 
And, uh, you know, even when I translated this book or when I tried to begin to translate this book to English, I came to some points where I could not exactly find the right words or the, the meaning in the Hebrew language of one word, not even one word for a letter, became so precise in one hand, and it relates to what we talked about. It was precise in one hand, but it's completely open in the other hand. In other words, this one letter gave it so many meanings. And that one letter, not only that it carried, it, it, it carried the word or the sentence or the house or, or the relationship, you know, it brought in the history of the person, the house, the relationship, and it had the potential to hold the future of the relation, the house, or the relationship. And uh, when you need to translate, when there is like a disconnect or, or, or there's a mechanism that connects your mind to the heart, as opposed to this almost... Um, very um, natural connection that doesn't need an intervention, it, it becomes difficult, especially in, in, in critical moments. And I think that's what the sentence is trying to convey. And for me, looking at the birds, there was something in their behavior or their relationship or their attitude that had no thought in it. It was just happening. Mm -hmm. It was natural. It was flowing. You know, the 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 distant the, the 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 gaps between them they're accurate. They each of them knew what they were doing. There was something so natural in the flow of life in that nest that it made me think of myself. In other words, the more I was looking at them, the more they were looking at me, and 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 I was. And I started reading about them, and then I realized that they fly by themselves. And they go, they fly to the equator each by themselves. And I ask myself, well, I was just born. I am talking about the, the, the young birds. I was just born and now I need to fly to the equator. How do I know to get there? And I start, and then I realized they have this inner compass that's been there for generations that tries them, that gives them, that sends them, you know, tells us where to go. It's almost like, you know, we go in biblical terms where God says to, Abra to Abraham, lech lecha. Take your stuff and go. And he goes. You know, he, he's not questioning. He's not thinking. He's just going. There's an inner compass that guides you. And and I think that's one of the gifts they gave me. It's the realization of the belief in the inner compass, you know, or the understanding or that there is an inner compass that, that drives us. And not to be afraid of just, you know, opening your wings and flying. To wherever this inner compass takes you. Uh, so rather, I'm thinking about that, and thank you so much for. It. I, I love thinking about home with you specifically because you are an art architect. So, um, and you are an architect who also now look in this book on birds, and I'm thinking about that how much the nest of the birds is their home, because in a way it's a home that they are going to live. There is a movement with with the home, and I'm thinking that in a few weeks, um, we as Jewish people were going to celebrate the holiday of Sukkot, 
where you are asked to leave your what you think is your home and to make a nest or something, sukkah, outside of your home to remember. So normally people, we interpret it that you need to remember that many people do not evolve. But when I read your book and as I'm listening to you, maybe we need to leave our what we call home and to be in a, another home in nature in order to understand that home is not about then maybe a home demands movement it's it's very beautiful what you're saying because um i do believe that that a real concept actually requires two opposites mm -hmm. in a sense the most in order for the most stable or what you think is stable place to to become stable you really need to move you really need to maybe look at look at it from a you know from a different perspective. It's um, you know I go back again to the translation because into language like we talked about because you know in Hebrew there's one word, there's one word which is bite. In English, you know, and when I translated it, it was difficult to me sometimes to put the right. It's still to put the right word in English. There's house. Mm -hmm. There is a, a house, which is a particular house, and then there is home. Mm. How do you differentiate between the three? Or my role as an architect is to take house, make it a house, and then make it a home. You know, while in Hebrew, it's all uh, by it. And you need this other word after that, or, you know, connected to it in order to make it. What kind of? What kind of, uh, you know, and bite is, you know, we don't think about it, but this body of ours is our bite, is our home. I'm not sure that we really need the physical home, you know, or be at the physical home, because home is with us. This is like when I write about my mother tongue, mother's tongue. This is when I write about, you know, looking at the horizon here, imagining that one clear day I would see my homeland. Uh, it's enough for me because even if I don't see the homeland, it's there. It, and and I think that's what I learned. You know, the birds, they come back to you every year. Um, there is, and it's okay to get away. It's okay to get away. It's okay to have that gap of time between, you know, the two homes. And it's okay to have maybe more than one even because I think there's so many layers, you know, of existence that we live in. So um, that's a that's a lesson that, that's a, you know, that's a, a lesson they give me. I, I, I think the real home is not even physical, you know. I, I probably thought about it before, but I think the birds emphasize it to me. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
one next to each other. For the most part, most of the time, you need kind of an interstitial spacing between them or an interstitial material, which will allow them to to expand and con- contract, contract, contract in, a, in, in, in their own temperature, in their own time, in their own pace, right? So they have room to grow, to, to, you know, to expand and contract, contract. If you put them right next to each other, and they, they will break, right? It's the same with human beings. It's exactly the same with human beings, and it's exact with language. We talked about movement. In order to think for things to move, you need space. You need air. You need that gap. If things are too tight, they're not able to move. If buildings are built too tight, they're not move, they, they will start to crack. They will start to break. We need that gap. It's exactly that gap that you're talking about between the letter, the letters, you know, that that, that is making everything stand. And so in that sense, it's where the, all the worlds are, you know, like are connected. You know, and it's it's very beautiful. It's um um but it's really it's really about us. It's really about us. You know, one of my favorite things when I have uh, my godfather, he lives in Vermont in an old house and wood house. And one of my, my, I, I love sitting there, being there um, during the winter when the wood moves because of the heating inside and the cold outside. And you hear the house fix in a way by I, between. I agree. I agree that this is a house. For me, a house is a living organism. It has birth, it has death, and you have to accept that it. it has life. A house, you know, I feel I'm happy to come to the to my house here in Connecticut where I am now, but I know that the house is happy when I'm coming here. Mm. He, the house want, wants me in here. He wants me, he wants my family, he wants the people I love to be in here. You know, that they it makes him happy. It makes him grow. It makes him feel better. You know, it's just like a, really a relationship for me between a house and a person are similar to a relationship between a person and a person. In a house, you need to take care of a house, you know, just like you need to take care of your friend or people you love. You And I can... You know, we can talk about the windows of the house that are the eyes of the house. We can talk about the doors of the house that are the mouth of the house. Just, and it's, um, you know, and in that sense, just to close the the, the, the the thought that we talked before about house, a house and a home, the word nest, which in Hebrew was a ken, is, is an amazing word. It became like an amazing word for me, you know, because it put the birds and me in the same house mm-hmm. uh, they they gave me a house they 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 really gave me, they really gave me a house you know um you know in the, in that sense it's, it's just a small anecdote uh, two weeks ago we were sitting here outside and this year for some reason everything happened earlier so the birds arrived earlier and left earlier there was only one osprey left in the last couple of weeks and on Saturday around noon, he, I think he was a he, he came and he flew and he stood on a roof very close to us. Very, very close. He never comes so close. Never. He came, he stood on a roof very, very close. 
We looked at it. We, I ran to get the binoculars. Everybody looked at it. I told him. I knew it. I told him he came to say goodbye. He he stood there for half an hour. He then, uh, you know, kind of just flew above us. And sure enough, the next morning he was not there. He was gone. I love him. I, he knows that. He knows me. They know me. They know me. I really believe so. And and we have a connection. You know, it's beautiful. And then in the book there is um, this uh, part that we need to add to your story that you also served at the IDF, the Israeli Army, for many years as a navigator in helicopters. Mm-hmm. Um. Which make you and the relation between you and birds very realistic. I mean, you think about space not only um, as me as someone who is walking on the ground, but you spend, I'm sure, hours, hundred hours um, above, like a bird and next to birds. Um, hopefully not too close. <laughs> hopefully not too close. Can you run? bring us a little bit about this um what happened to a human being when you spend so many hours as a bird when you think about space i think um um, i think and it relates to architecture uh, a little less on the method of navigating in particular more in helicopters but also in uh, uh, fighters jets um is that you have a map Right now, you don't have maps. You have the instruments that show you where you are. But you have a map, so you look at the map to see where you are. You look right underneath you to make sure that you're in the place that you want to be. I mean, listen to the language. It's so nice. It's um, how it relates to everything. You look uh, underneath to see where you are, and you compare it to the map. And you also look at the clock because you have to, you, you drew your path with minutes so you know where you are and but then at the same time you have to lift your eyes and you have to look at the horizon because mm. if you won't look at the horizon the plane would crash you need to have a reference to the horizon at all times so you look underneath you where you are and then you look at the horizon you look underneath you you look at the horizon you look at the clock and so on and so goes and goes on and on all, all the time so it's a constant comparison of where you are and looking at the horizon, where you are and looking at the horizon. And that what allows you to kind of be able to control the three-dimensional space that you are all the time. It's that look, looking at the moment and looking at the horizon, looking at the moment and looking at the horizon. And that was a big lesson for me also when I uh, became an architect because you have an initial idea, which is the horizon. You you have to, at all, during the process of making, go back time after time to to the to the essence, to the initial idea. Otherwise, you lose. Otherwise, you can crash. Mm. Metaphorically and physically. Yeah, metaphorically and physically. Otherwise, you can crash. And then the other difference that you have in the air, which we don't have here on the ground is which always fascinated me is you can't stop you can't say for a second hey we need to stop you know and everything stops it never stops it's constant movement they teach you in the air force that 
When there's doubt, there is no doubt. In other, in other words, if something goes wrong, if you feel, not even see, but if you feel that something is wrong, that probably something is wrong, then look around and try to find what's wrong and fix the problem. I took it and in the process of making, turn it around. Because when you make, you create, you, you plan a building, a space, you, you write a sentence. You, I all the time feel, is it, I ask myself, is it right or is it wrong? Is it right or is it wrong? Until you suddenly have that feeling that you feel there's no doubt, it's right, it's right there. And then you move on. So you, you, you change it. And then the other, the last thing about this question of flying, when you fly long distances, you need to look at things in one scale. You don't need to see all the details. But when you come at 150 knots and you need to find a well, which is basically five feet by five feet, you need to change the scale of the map. You need to see many more details. You need to see exactly the creek that goes. You need to see the 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 the, the turn, the path, the the turn in the path. You know that that you need to understand the land, the details of the land. It's the same in architecture. You have a great idea. You make a sketch. The closer you go, the closer you 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 get to the building. The larger the scale becomes to resolve all the details. And then, just when the helicopter lands on the ground and now the map is kind of irrelevant because the scale is one-to-one, -one. that's what happens in a building. Now you enter in a built into a building, which is the scale of a human being. So it's all display of uh, scales that you learn. And when and how do you do a pose when you fly and in a way you are not allowed to have pose because there are no poses? Well, in a helicopter you can you can pose or we you can hover. In a helicopter you oh, can hover. Yeah. yeah. Hovering is, uh, is, um, is, is a wonderful uh, condition because hovering is an equilibrium. All forces are equal. Um, it's a great question that you ask because, because it's also a lesson for life. You can hover after, you know, the first time they teach you to hover, you need a, a football field because the plane goes all over. And slowly you know, control everything until you just basically take the three wheels of the helicopter and you bring the helicopter into a standstill. And now you're in equilibrium. It is very interesting that when you hover, you can take all wheels and shift them very fast. The helicopter will go up and down, but it wouldn't move. Mm -hmm. And it's a great lesson that when you can move things rapidly without thinking it's not, but still you would stay in the same place. So you probably should not do it. But yes, you can hover in one place. Yeah. Ryan. Your book is, for me, as I opened, is a little bit to redefine what the book is. It's uh, also what space is and how language is play among them. Because the book, you open with not finding your language. Um, but I think by the birds, you learn that by being, there is something with the body, with the physicality, that in a way, our home and many ways, the language um, and, and, and I just like it that, um, that, that you mentioned the letter, that it's a, a confused letter in Hebrew, Beth, and, and just this letter itself, the, the word of the letter is Bait, Beth, right. and this beautiful, 
um, game in the between. So Ran, thank you so much for your book and thank you so much for joining us as a New Books Network. Thank you very much. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you.